You're listening to the 66th podcast. Drew just pointed at me, so I assume that means it's time to start recording. Uh, I'm Andrew Kingsley with Drew Kaiser, and we are continuing our project of getting through every book in the Bible in kind of a overview format, right? A survey. A if survey, you will. if you will. It's a survey of the books of the Bible. Not. Yeah. One book at a time. Right. TM. Yeah, yeah, we got we really got to get that trademark. But today we're in First Thessalonians. Uh, we won't waste any more of your time with that stuff. We're in First Thessalonians, and we're going to be in chapter three today. We're going to close out this first half of the book, where Paul kind of recalls what uh, he has done in Thessalonica, and in chapter three, he's making plans. Well, no, he's not making plans. He's talking about Timothy's uh, report that he has brought back to him. Most likely in Athens, this probably lines up with Acts 17, where Timothy um, and Silas catch up with Paul in Athens. Um, But we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute, I assume. But for now, Timothy has left Paul. He's gone back to Thessalonica. He has learned about what's going on in Thessalonica, and he's returned to Paul. And Paul in chapter 3 is going to write about that report and sending Timothy off. And then as we get into the rest of the book next week, or maybe next month, depending on when we can sit down and do this again. <laughs> yeah. uh, Paul will give him kind of his closing words on some doctrinal stuff, including the day of the Lord. Does that set you up good for chapter Yeah, three? you have set me up. Um, set you up well? We're calling this episode Worth the Risk. Okay. Like and the episode is worth the risk? or The, the name of the episode, the title, <laughs> is Worth the Risk. Got and it. it refers to Paul's sacrifices being worth being a minister of the gospel. Mm. I think this episode is going to resonate more with church workers, elders, ministers, deacons, youth ministers, you know, the, the the kinds of people that get involved in a church, lead, invest in lives of people, and take the risk of every relationship, which is getting hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, some of this in chapter 3 depends on your knowledge of the background of the establishment of the church at Thessalonica. That's recorded in um, Acts chapter 17, and I encourage all of our readers, readers, our listeners, to to go back to that chapter and see what happens. We've talked about it on the podcast already, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on it. It just, basically, Paul was able to put maybe three weeks into Thessalonica, and then he was driven out by persecution, and has not yet been able to go back and uh, he was very concerned. In 2 Corinthians 11, he talks about the daily pressure on him of caring for the churches. So he was one who just put his heart and soul into it. Uh, we've had things, like at any congregation, we've had things happen at our church that hurt. You know, people leave or they have to move or things don't go well. There's some disagreement. And I'll, you know, those things hit me every time in a very personal way. And I've had people give me the advice, don't take it personally. I think what people need to understand is if you're going to do church work the right way as a minister or as an elder, and feel free to disagree with this if you do, Andrew. But if you're going to do it the right way, you're going to have to invest a little of your own self into the work. And it is personal. Yeah. It is personal. By nature of the work that you're doing, it has to be personal, right? Right. This isn't a profession where you clock in 
you put in your hours, you clock out, go home and forget about the status of the company because you're just a, a, a wheel or a cog on the wheel. This is a, a spiritual family. And you can really see right. that coming out in Paul's comments. He, he says a couple of times at the first part of this chapter that his situation was unbearable. I think the exact phrase in verses 1 and 5 is, I could bear it no longer. And he's talking yeah. about waiting on Timothy's report about how the Christians were doing in Thessalonica. He was, he was dying. You know, he was just wanting to find out what was going on uh, while he was away from the Thessalonians. So the question is, is it worth the risk? And Paul shows us that it is. And we're just going to go through the events of chapter 3. Starting at verse 1 with Paul sending, uh, sending Timothy to Thessalonica. Here's what he says. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. Now, if you studied the Sermon on Mars Hill in Acts 17, that's where he is at this point in the narrative. He's down right. there in Athens by himself, debating with the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers and giving that great sermon on the unknown God. Yeah. Uh, so verse 2 says, We sent Timothy, our brother and Christ's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. You see the concern that was on his heart as he was waiting in Athens for news about the Thessalonians. Uh, so just to kind of summarize that, Timothy was sent there for three reasons. And the first one he said was to establish and exhort them in their faith. That's verse 2. Secondly, to ensure that no one was moved. That's the language he uses. It could be translated unsettled or even deceived yeah. by these afflictions, the persecution they suffered there. And finally, just because Paul could bear the suspense no longer, he just couldn't stand it any longer. So that's what he tells us in verses 1 through 5. As the narrative of chapter 3 moves along, we see that he became overjoyed by Timothy's good news. This is verses 6 through 10. He says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. So Timothy gives a report that, number one, they had faith and they had love. That's one thing that Paul was really wanting to hear. Number two, Timothy said they remembered Paul and they remembered the others who were traveling with him. I guess that's like uh, uh, Silas, Paul, Silas, uh, mm -hmm. Timothy. He, he, they remembered all of them kindly. That's Maybe verse 6. Luke, that point. Yeah, Luke sure. could have been with them. And number 3, Timothy told him that they longed to see Paul just as much as he longed to see them. And so he said that made him really live. Uh, that 
statement there in uh, verse 8 just has a big impact on me. Uh, he just says in the ESV, now we live, but uh, I think I remember that the New American Standard Bible has it, now we really live. Yeah. And um, another translation I found has, now we can breathe again. Now, I think that's oh, really wow. you know yeah. interesting way to put it. Uh, I don't know how true to the original it is, but it yeah. it's an interpretation of the way that he felt. So you can see that even an apostle takes this stuff personally, he gets really concerned, and he was relieved, overjoyed by Timothy's good news. All right, the last few verses there are a prayer of thanksgiving that Paul gives when he heard Timothy's good report. He says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So he makes three petitions in this prayer. Number one, that the Lord would clear the way for Paul to visit them. He wants to go back um, when he can, and uh, so he's praying for that. Number two, he prays that the Lord would increase their love for one another and for all as we do for you. So even though they had love, and they had faith according to Timothy's report, that can grow. You never can get enough love. And so he's praying for growth. And finally, he prays that the Lord would establish their hearts blameless in holiness at judgment. So it's a prayer for their current state of affairs and a pray for you know their future as they stand before God in judgment. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty much all there is to the 13 verses. I think we said 12, but uh, 13 verses of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We'll come back and see if we can pull some interesting things out of that in just a moment. So I'm going to start talking again. Uh, we have two things that we want to think about, Drew. And I know I'm kind of going to pop quiz you on these because uh, I mentioned them right before we hit record. So Drew's going to be working. That's this all out. right. Guess <laughs> who has Q and A night this Sunday? Not me. Not this guy. Uh, not I'm out of either. town this weekend. We're going to You're give preaching it, Sunday night. We're going to give it to our deacon over missions. He's going to handle it. Uh, now we'll see if he listens. He yeah. does not. He, yeah, he does not. So his name is Jason. Yep, Jason Pullum. So send us some social security about him. number. Yeah, and his driver's license here. But we'll talk about that later. Uh, first of all, we want to talk about verse five of chapter three. One of the things that stuck out to me, he's talking to them about wanting to send Timothy back to them to find out whether or not they've continued to be faithful, and he's talking about the suffering they've endured, and he's hoping that they're staying. Uh, faithful in verse 5 he says for this reason when I could bear it no longer I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and that our labor would be in vain and perhaps this is uh, too obvious to have a need to be pointed out here but the fact that the Paul is worried that the tempter may have tempted these people in Thessalonica 
And I think it's important to stop and note that because we do know for a fact that as Jesus rose from the grave on the third day, uh, he defeated the power of death. So the power, I guess, that was attributed to Satan Mm -hmm. has been overthrown and Satan's been beaten then and there when Christ overcomes the grave. There are a lot of verses that that teach that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Colossians two fifteen is one where Satan's not mentioned there, but I think the the rulers and authorities are triumphed over when Jesus dies on the cross. Yeah, and that phrase "rulers and authorities" is used pretty consistently to refer to the demonic world. Right. So Christ triumphed over the demonic world, including the devil, when he died on the cross. And then that same thing is said in Hebrews 2, uh, beginning about verse 14, where uh, I'm trying to turn over there to it. But this is an important verse where... Um, yeah, this fun, is the verse I had here. in mind when I was when I was thinking... Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death Jesus might destroy the one who has the power of death, the power of death that is the devil. Uh, So he was destroyed. That doesn't mean wiped out of existence, but his power was taken away from him. And I even think um, some of the symbols in the book of Revelation describe how the devil was taken out you know, for the Christian age. Um, I'm thinking of Revelation 20, verses 1 and following, where he's thrown into a bottomless pit and kept in a chain. Uh, I know there are different interpretations of that. My belief is that we are currently in a spiritual, figurative, millennial reign. And uh, this is the time period in which the devil is chained in the pit. Yeah. Okay, so that would also apply to when this letter was being written, which is the problem that I think you are raising is, why should they worry about the tempter mm-hmm. and Paul's work being in vain if the tempter is chained up in a bottomless pit, if he was triumphed over at the cross, if he was destroyed, as the verses we just went through said. I mean, that's right. that's the problem, right? Yeah, that's kind of the the issue. And I think that, you know, I know a lot of folks who think that way about Satan, that he's maybe not even like real uh, and he never was or maybe that he was but now he's been defeated and we don't really got to worry about it now our biggest enemy is just our own well and then you got the other extreme where it's like the sign going down to montgomery go to church or the devil will get you (laughs) which fell by the way have you seen that uh you told me it fell i try not to go down to montgomery too often yeah well it fell (laughs) uh the sign is yeah it'll be back up it'll be back up yeah it won't be long they might uh, make some modifications to it. I don't know. There's no like doubt. a cartoon on it, right, of the devil. Yeah, the guy with the pitchfork. Yeah. That sort of thing. Uh, so, you know, there's, biblical accuracy is very low. important. Yeah, biblical accuracy is very low on that sign. But um, I so think So do you get what I'm saying? There's the extreme that believes... There's Like you brought up the one extreme that, you know, people don't even believe in the existence of the devil. Yeah. And think it's silly to talk about him. And then on the other extreme, people look at him as, you know, still walking around on earth. I might have encountered him this morning, you know, that kind of talk. Yeah, he might uh, have been the guy in the car behind me honking and yes. raising his fists. Yeah. yeah, yeah, or some politician or king or whatever. Yeah, 
Yeah, right. So the truth lies somewhere in between those two extremes. And um, I would assume so, yes. Is it possible to, I know you were going to ask me the question, and I'm asking the question, this is what I've done to you. Yeah. Is it possible to reconcile the passages of the Bible that say that uh, the devil has been taken out of the way with passages like the one you just brought up from 1 Thessalonians 3, or even harder, First uh, Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the yeah. devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to, to devour. How yeah. do you how do you reconcile those two ideas? Well, I think that passage you read. This is going to be me butchering this answer here. I think the passage you read from Hebrews uh, can really help us out in answering that question because the power um, that Satan has lost was the power of death. So. Uh, like we said from verse 14 of Hebrews 2, um, through death you might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. So the focus there is on the power of death. So Satan's lost that ability. But the way that he took out the power of death is by destroying the one who had it. Not right. by destroying the power of death, but it says yeah. that he destroyed the one who had the power of death. Yeah. Well... I, I mean, obviously, we're not talking about annihilation here, and you mentioned that a moment ago. So he's yeah. not the uh, Satan's not removed from all existence because we do have the New Testament here. He's worried about the tempter tempting them. Peter brings up, obviously, as you mentioned a moment ago, in First Peter five eight. Yeah, is that it? About yes, the yeah. Roaring lion. So to some God capacity, of this world. Yeah. Um, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. So, there are a lot of things telling us to watch out. Yeah. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Yeah. So we, I mean. So he is, I would say he hasn't been totally destroyed, but in what sense has he been destroyed? In what sense? Mm -hmm. So from Hebrew two, Hebrews 2, and you can check me on this and tell me if I'm wrong here, but he's been destroyed in some sense. And I think that the fact that the power of death is mentioned there. Uh, I think that is really the focus of what has he lost. He's kind of lost mm -hmm. his power in death because now Christ has defeated death. And any of us who are in Christ, Romans 6, we're going to share in a resurrection like his. Mm -hmm. So, you know, death no longer has any power over the followers of Christ because we have the same kind of resurrection lined up that Christ himself experienced. But I think I would say technically it has no power over us. Yeah. Because eventually we can overcome it. Yeah. And we can overcome it in passing. You know, if we pass today, our spirit would not be um, extinguished. Right. Um, but spiritually speaking, in terms of influence, lies, and um, deceit, he is still very much active in the world today. Right. Uh, so I think that, you know, there may have been times, I think there definitely were times before Jesus' death, when the devil personally tempted people. A few examples, um, Jesus' temptation in the desert. Right, that was the first one I thought of. Um, Job, yeah. you know, maybe there was some kind of personal thing going on there. Yeah. Judas, possibly, not sure, you know, possibly. Uh, John 13, 1 certainly uh, blames the devil for, for that. Yeah. Um, but the the only real personal description of G, of the devil as like you know speaking with another person and and acting in a personal way 
is the temptation of Christ, unless I'm yeah. forgetting something. Other times it'll say like Satan incited David to number Israel or yeah, entered no... into Judas's heart or he is asked to sift Peter or yeah. he is appears before God with the sons of God, but Job never knows it. Yeah. You know, am, am I wrong? I'm afraid I'm throwing something out there. That's and... the only one I can think of where he's actually like walking up the serpent known, speaking to yeah but i'm not sure that eve even knew who he was yeah but he was personally engaging yeah. another person yeah yeah uh, um he appeared in a yeah, different right. form but i think that counts and i mean maybe i'm forgetting something but i think the demonic world had more personal conversations with jesus namely in the gospel accounts than, than the devil himself. So yeah. what what we don't see is the devil personally, you know, trying to pose as a friend and talking directly as a human being would or another person would. Um, but what yeah. we do see is that his influence is still alive and well in the universe today. Yeah. Um, that, I think, is the bottom line of that. And that's why I brought it up, is to know that you know, Paul is worried about these Thessalonians who are very faithful, you know, and he's he's worried that they have maybe lost some of their uh, momentum because of the tempter. So I think mm -hmm. even when we're in our good spiritual times, um, we still need to be very cautious and have our defenses up um, because this kind of stuff, if it's worrying Paul enough um, that he's so concerned about these good people in Thessalonica, then that's cause enough for us to be concerned about our own selves, uh, kind of watching our back, so to speak. Um, are you familiar with the myth of Pandora's box? Yes. Not the music service, but yeah. the, the original myth. Uh, Pandora, that in Greek is all gifts, right? That's pan, all, sure. Dora, gift. Sounds good. All gifted. But Pandora was... Um, the gods were angry with uh, who was who was the uh, the god that helped men and liked men. The one that he gave was, him fire. Yeah, gave him fire, and he got you know Zeus had him chained up forever, and um, oh man, I don't know. Yeah, I could have told uh, you if you had Prometheus. Yeah, Prometheus. I was about to say Perseus, but I knew it wasn't him. Uh, Prometheus to get no. back at him, the gods all put together this box and gave it to this woman named. Uh, Pandora, mm -hmm. and it's really um, a misogynistic story because yeah. they gave it to a woman and then told her, "Whatever you do, don't open the box." And it's like they they thought, "Well, this is a woman; she won't be able to not open yeah. this box." I mean, that's how the story is told, mm -hmm. and uh, that is not, of course, my position yeah. or Andrew's position. Yeah, the forward-thinking Greek. Yeah, but they thought that women just... could not beat their curiosity, and so they. Yeah. That they might as well have ordered her to open it in saying, "Here's a nice box. Whatever you do, don't open it up." Yeah, I think men are just as prone to that. As say, it would have worked on me too. I mean, well, she opens like, it, and all the evils button. of the world get out of the box, and she clapped down the lid of it at the last moment, and the only thing left in the box was hope. Yeah, and so there's some things about hope on that, but I, I don't know. I kind of feel like when the devil got out in the Garden of Eden. No. He started something 
that even though that event is over, his personal contact with Eve or with Christ, yeah. even though that event is over, and it it let so he he would be Pandora's box. Mm-hmm. Like we don't know where the box is, we don't know where the devil is. God says, "I've chained him up. I've kept him, kept him back. I've restrained him." Yeah. And uh, but but all the stuff that got out of the box from his being on Earth is still out there. You know, yeah. there's still bats in the belfry. They're just flying all around. Nice. I, I didn't use that right. I, I, don't, I wanted to do it. What's a belfry? I had a little picture book. Well, I don't know. I don't have any idea what it is. <laughs> do I. I think it's at the top of a there church. You know what the bell is in? Oh, that makes sense. Um. But I had a little picture book about Pandora when I was a kid, and mm. the the evil was depicted as bats, weird, creepy-looking oh, bats coming out of, of the box, yeah. and that just fused into my mind. I mm. think that's the way... So in terms of lies, deceit, you can tell a lie, and it'll stay long after you're gone. Uh, influence right. hangs around good or bad yeah. after you're gone. And that's, you know, Jesus talks about that in John eight forty four. You are of your father, the devil. From the beginning, he was a murderer and a liar. Yeah. And so um, he did this in the beginning, has a recurring problems generation after generation. Yeah. So bottom line, <laughs> so follow the advice from 2 Peter 5, 8. First, first Peter, Peter. I'll first get these Peter right eventually. 1 Peter 5, 8. Um, to be watchful because uh, yeah. the tempter is still around. Um, okay, so the next thing that I want to bring up very quickly is from verse 12 where he's talking about um, hoping that he can go back to Thessalonica. Verse 11, May our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. That little phrase there, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love, to me is pretty interesting and is worth us thinking about because the Thessal the Thessalonians almost called them the Thessalonians. I know I've heard people yeah. say that. The Thess which would I mean it makes sense, but it's not, okay, but we'll talk yeah. about that later. Uh the Thessalonians, and by later I mean never. They are in <laughs> they're in good spiritual shape, right? Paul says you guys were doing great. Mm-hmm. We've been gone for a while. I was really worried about you, and I couldn't stand it, so I sent Timothy back, and now he says y'all are in great shape. It was good still. news. Verse 6 mm-hmm. is good news of their faith and love. So, I mean, you know, would Timothy come back from our church, hopefully, yeah. with good news of faith and love? But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's a pretty good report for a young church. Right, yeah. And he says, even though they're in good shape, he says, I pray that the Lord will make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. So there's there's this attitude of continued growth. Even though they have grown from the time when Paul left, or at least sustained their pace from when Paul left, he's praying that they will continue to progress even more. And that is something that is certainly worth thinking about. It's also worth discussing in our apply section, but we've got another plan for that, so we're going to bring it up yeah, here. Yeah. Here's another quote from one of the letters of Peter, and this is why I kept confusing the other one. Second Peter one eight, which you pointed out to me in the break, Drew, if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter mentions a lot of things starting back in verse five. He's talking about reason, faith, 
virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. And then says that these qualities are yours and increasing. So he doesn't just say if these qualities are yours, period. Mm-hmm. He says if they yeah. are yours and they continue to increase, which is a good reminder for us, even if we believe that we're in a good place spiritually, mm-hmm. even if we think we're doing really good, uh, we are meant to have the qualities of being a Christ follower and for those qualities to continue to increase every single day. Yeah, it's stated as a condition too. And, you know, we don't yeah. want to be too, we don't read too much into this, but he says it again in um, verse, uh, where was I? Verse 10 at the end, if, these quali- if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So I, I take that to mean if you don't practice these qualities, you will fall. Fall where? But become lost. Fall from grace, maybe. So um, that's very important growth. I think in established churches, people who have been raised in the church, as we say often, are the ones most susceptible to becoming stagnant and mediocre. Yeah. I think that uh, people brought late in life to the gospel do a better job of growing throughout their whole life. But uh, uh, another point to make about growth, and this explains why it doesn't happen that much, is growth is nothing more than change in the right direction. That's what growth is. Right. It's change. So to say I've grown means, like if you're physically growing, that means when your mother put the notch on the door jam this year, it was higher and different than it was a year before. Mm-hmm. Well, people don't like the change to change. And yeah. as they get older, they like it less and less and less. Right. And still, Paul is saying, you must grow. Your faith needs to change. Your love needs to change. It needs to change in the right direction, but it needs to change. Change is hard. It's scary. Yep. It takes us into unknown territory. So um, I think when we phrase it like that, we can see what the real challenge of growth is and why people don't do it very much. It's change, and people don't like change. Yeah. Um, Well, I think those are two good things, at least. There's a lot more here to think about, but um, from verse 5 and verse 12, at least two good things. We will take a quick break, and then we'll come back and we'll do some applications. application a cost benefit analysis for ministry i don't know what that means so some people will also say the pros and cons of ministry because, i do know what that means okay good the title of the episode is worth the risk so we're asking is ministry worth the risk question mark Got it. i think everybody's gonna know where you and i will wind up on this but i, I thought this would be something Solid we could maybe yeah. <laughs> uh, let's just start by talking about some of the risks of ministry. Okay. You want to go first or me? You go right I, ahead. Let's, let's start with what we see in. happening with Paul. I mean, Paul is in this situation he describes as unbearable because he's he's waiting for news 
about how people on their own respond to persecution. So this is the anxiety of a church leader who has invested his heart into a work, and that work is people. Yeah. And the the hard thing about people is they all get to make their own decisions, and you can't force them to do what's right. You can only encourage them to do that. And oftentimes they choose to do what is wrong instead of what is right. And so Paul has no... This is really... I'm not calling Paul a control freak, but this is really tough on control freaks. There, People are not under your control. Mm-hmm. And the most powerful thing you have is service, sacrifice, and influence. Uh, love is probably sums all three of those things up. So Paul has tried to use that. He's you know, shown that he's willing to go all the way. Mm-hmm. But he had to turn these new Christians loose in a world full of persecution. And now he's just, he's, he, he can't bear it. He can't bear not knowing. Uh, so that, that is one risk is when you get involved with people, you can't control them. You have to be in a, you're in a position where, you know, someone besides you is in control. Mm-hmm. And I think what's helpful in that situation, just to throw this in, is to remind yourself who this is about and who is in control, God. Mm-hmm. You know, Paul was saying this First 1 Corinthians 3, that, you know, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. God gave the growth. Um, it's God's work. And if you remind yourself of that all the time, you can kind of deal with the uncertainties yeah. a little bit better. You know, let God's will be done and move on. Yeah. Um, so what else in ministry? You got any other ideas of what makes it tough, makes it challenging? What are the risks? Um, what are the costs? I, I think you're pretty much hitting on the biggest things that are, I guess, risky about it. Because in my mind, you can look at ministry in one of two major ways, and there, you know, there's some room for things to fall in the middle of these. I'm not saying this is an exhaustive list, but while you were talking, I just had two ideas. One very low risk way to do ministry is to just view yourself as, all right, I get paid by this place to come in and teach. So I'm going to walk in, I'm going to, I'm going to study the knowledge I need to know, then I'm going to uh, communicate that knowledge I've learned, and that's it. That's all I got to do. You know, part, part of the time my role is to be, you know, maybe an encourager, so I'll show up at a hospital and I'll encourage, but when clock strikes five in the afternoon, I'm done. You know, there's one way to look at ministry like that um, to where, you know, you're a professional and you work certain hours and you do this and that and other, and then you're done. Um, and your job is tied up with a nice, neat little bow. But, not to say but that doesn't work. Right. I'm going to say not to say there's no room mm-hmm. for trying to be put together and resemble, you know, some parts of a profession in ministry. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, trying to trying to do your job well, so I don't want to confuse mm-hmm. it with that. Yeah. But the other way to do ministry that is a lot more risky is to be like a, a fellow disciple with these people that you're working with, to be a companion, to be an encourager, to be a friend, to try to be like Christ and, you know, to imitate Paul as Paul imitates Christ of really sacrificing everything in order that you might reach a few people. 
So it's risky because you're going to work your tail off doing all these things. Like Paul says, I became all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Well, in Athens, how'd that work out for you, Paul? Not very well. And that's where he is now. So Paul travels around to a lot of places, and a lot, a lot of times the people are very receptive, and he has large numbers come to the church. In the book, beginning of the book of Acts, Peter is very successful. Um, you know, he makes a risk, and the risk is rewarded. But for Paul, he's putting his, the risk is he's showing up in a very public venue in Athens, a place full of a lot of smart, influential people in his time, and he's putting his neck out there by walking up to the altar of the unknown God and saying, hey, I know who this unknown God is. It's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's the God I serve. How'd that work out for you, Paul? Not too well. Yeah, a few people believed him. Most of them mocked and ridiculed him. So, you know, from one perspective, and I guess I've kind of changed gears while talking, but from one perspective, it's risky because, like you said, you are a companion and a fellow worker with these people. So when you get involved with them, just by the very nature of what you're doing, you're concerned about them. And their well-being or your well-being then is somewhat dependent upon theirs. And that it reminds me of what he said back in chapter 2 where he's like a father with his children, that he encourages them to walk in a manner worthy of God who called you to his kingdom and glory in verse 12, verses 11 and 12. Well, parents are very anxious about the well-being of their children. Yeah. And if you've ever, you know, uh, for the parents listening, you know, you let your kid go spend the night somewhere one night, and maybe you're just so relieved that you have a night of a break that you don't really think about it, but <laughs> I doubt it. You know, most parents are concerned about where their kids are, what they're doing, you know, how are they, have they survived, um... There's a lot of anxiety wrapped up from a parent and the well-being of their kids. And it's the same way for ministers and the people they work with. Or maybe more, maybe not the father and son role. Uh, in some cases, maybe it's the, you know, brother to brother or brother to sister role. Mm-hmm. Where you're concerned, genuinely concerned about their well-being. And when you're doing ministry correctly, that's the kind of relationships you're getting into with people. Not this calloused, like detached kind of I'm just going to teach you and hope it sticks and if it does great so you have to build relationships yes what you're saying yeah and here's another sticky point in the life of a minister church worker elder missionary etc um relationships have you have to prioritize them right that gets difficult when you got somebody over here you're trying to bring to the truth and you're worried about their soul but then you have your family over here. Yeah. And I believe, and I think you would agree, ministers have a greater responsibility to have strong relationships with their family yeah. than anybody else in the world outside of God. Yeah, I agree with that um, 100%. But that gets, that gets hard because it's your job, quote unquote, to, to love these people and bring them to Christ. Now, it's a lot of people's job, but this is what the world is telling. It's your job to be everybody's friend. It's your job to be everybody's, you know, to to love everybody and to solve everybody's problem. And then your family's sitting over here and they're they're saying, well, I'm not your job, but I'm pretty important too. Yeah. And a lot of preachers mess this up. You know, they get in, 
They think well, the right thing to do is to give myself and give my family to God through this ministry. And they wind up losing their family. Maybe maybe their wife leaves them. Maybe their children get older and don't want to have anything to do with them or the church. They have bitter yeah. feelings about it. So what you have to do is, even though your job is to be involved relationally with, with people, you have to draw the line somewhere. And you have to tell them no sometimes. Yeah. And and you have to turn your phone off sometimes or just yeah. choose not to answer it. I think it's very similar to anyone who's got a a type of employment where a lot is demanded out of them at times it's not between eight o'clock to five o'clock mm-hmm. or nine o'clock to five o'clock or whatever, you know, your hours might be. Anybody that's, you know, runs a business or um, has a lot of stuff to do after hours or even before hours begin, there's a real danger of neglecting your family. Uh, ministry, it seems to be a little more prevalent because there's always a need. You can mm-hmm. always be with somebody or helping mm-hmm. somebody. There's always spend. a visit that you need to make. Right. Always another phone call, another card to write, another Bible study to have, mm-hmm. another sermon to write, another lesson it just doesn't end, and you've got um, to be very careful. And I mean, this is coming from me being 26 years old. I, I mean, I don't I really have a clue what I'm talking about in the grand scheme of things. But you know, in my mind, you've got to. It makes your priorities all the more relevant. You have to be very mm-hmm. intentional and mindful of what your priorities are. Priority number one: I'm following God. I'm following Christ. Priority number two: I am here to put my spouse's needs above my own to serve in my family as the provider as the head of the household priority number three is to minister to the needs of these people here at this congregation Look, and that is why paul chose not to have a family yeah you know he chose not to get married not to have children that is why he's calling the thessalonians his children because he chose somewhere down the road not to have a family. He talks about it numerous times in the letters. One I think about is uh, 1 Corinthians 7 when he's saying it's good not to have sexual relations, not to have a wife, not to have a family. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, let every man have his own wife and every woman have her own husband. Uh, He talks about it in other places as well. He made a lot of sacrifices. Um, You know, he... He used that opportunity of being single to not be a burden on other churches financially. So he he was a vocational minister. He did tent yeah. making during the day, ministry at night, and on what you know every spare moment he had. If Paul had done those kinds of things and had a family, he probably would have lost his family, unless there were an exceptional group of people that were his family. Yeah. Um, so he chose a life where his only family were the brothers and sisters in the churches that he went to. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the risks. Let's let's look at the benefits, okay? We looked at the cost. Let's do a benefit. And then at the end, the idea is we're going to weigh it and ask, is it worth it? So what are some of the benefits? I'll start with this. You know, when Peter told Jesus in Mark 10, we've left everything to follow you, Jesus reminded him that everyone who's left houses and father and mother and brother and sister and wife and children and lands for my sake and for the gospel— has now in this time, now in this life, a hundredfold houses, uh, mothers, 
brothers and sisters and children yeah. and lands and in the life to come, eternal life. And so, yes, you may have, um, you know, you may lose relationships in becoming a Christian and investing in the church, but you gain a hundredfold relationships and associations that that are good for you spiritually and physically, yeah. that are healthy for you, and uh, then he adds on top of that, and then of course after Judgment Day you have eternal life. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you have those benefits. They they don't they may cut off relationships in the beginning with people who don't accept that you're a Christian, but you will gain far more and better relationships in the church. Yeah, I think I would, that's. I would one name of the... that as one that was important to Paul. If you look back the last chapter, we talked about yeah. heaven in terms of relationships. There at the yeah. end of chapter two. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest. Um, what was the what, what were we using here? Cost benefit analysis. Co- cost benefit analysis. Okay, so one yeah. of the benefits, I think, uh, or if we say risk reward, one of the rewards yeah. here is definitely. This kind of fulfillment that comes from, you know, this joy that Paul has is so deep because of the relationship that's there. Mm-hmm. So I think you invest the time in the relationship. Your cost is, you know, the risk of I'm going to get into a relationship um, with these people and, you know, their faithfulness is going to determine my happiness to a large degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it's when that investment is lost, it's very difficult. Um, you know, it hurts uh, just from the standpoint of these are souls that are lost. But from the other standpoint, you know, it's kind of a personal thing. You feel like I could have done this better. It's my fault. Yada, yada, yada. Uh, but when it works out, you know, just as bad as it is when it doesn't, it's that good when it does. Yeah. So Paul is very, you know, I was, uh, someone shared an article with me. I wish I could remember what the article was, where it came from. It was talking about fulfilling jobs. The most okay, fulfilling this, I jobs. was about to go there. Yeah. Um, the most fulfilling job on the list. You want to guess what it was? Or mm, school teacher? Wasn't school teacher was like second or third. Mm-hmm. The most fulfilling job was youth minister. Really? The most okay. fulfilling job. Was this in a have. religious publication or was it? Uh, it was just on some kind of like career website or uh-huh. whatever someone had shared with me. Some study that somebody yeah. had done. Said the people research. who feel most fulfilled in their work are youth ministers, which surprised me. Because mm-hmm. I know working in youth ministry, sometimes I don't necessarily feel so fulfilled because I feel, mm-hmm. you know, some of the things, you know, like if you've got a little kids' event and you're really trying hard to make it you know, good for kids to show up, you know, if you're making a logo or PowerPoint or something or whatever you have going on at the event, you know, you want to have it really good, top-notch to where it's going to be great. Kids are going to bring their friends. Hopefully you get through to their parents while you're there. Sometimes you can really feel like you're spinning your wheels when you're trying to figure out which font is going to look best on this or that or the other. <laughs> well, that's, so, not, that's not all you do. Uh, but, um, you know, sometimes it doesn't feel as fulfilling. But what makes yeah. it so fulfilling from that article, what they said was, you know, for you to kind of watch some of the kids grow up and see when they stay faithful or when you get to see them in a situation to where they're 
living out their faith in a way that you know you have taught, or they're responding to a problem with words that you know you have taught them, yeah, it's very fulfilling. Yeah, and, and same goes for a ministry with the adults. I, you have in ministry a job that you can wake up and look at yourself in the mirror. Yeah, you can. You you have a sense of purpose, and it's the only job on earth that has eternal consequences in a right. good way. Yeah, uh, there are other jobs that have eternal consequences yeah. in a bad way. Yeah. This one has eternal consequences in a good way, and you know there are days when you're discouraged, um, but most most days you you get up knowing that you're doing something that is worth the risk. Right. I also want to say this: uh, we're sitting here talking about the risks and all that, and we're two ministers going, "Oh, wow, wow, we got risks in life." Yeah. I I, I don't. I mean, I was about to say I hate it. I don't hate it, but. People often come up and say, I don't know how you do what you do. Like if I have a funeral, I hear that a lot on that particular day. I don't know how how you do it. Uh, your job is so demanding. I know that you're busy all the time. I know that you're never off the clock. Uh, it's 24-7. You know, people say that try to encourage me. I don't want them to think that my life is that bad. It's not at all. It's great life. Yeah. Um, and in terms of being on call... It's not that often that somebody calls in the middle of the night. It's happened before, but it's not every night. In terms of you know doing funerals, that's far more fulfilling to me than doing a wedding because I just feel really useful in a funeral. I yeah. feel like I'm helping people. Um, it's a great life. It's not something that is a... I mean, I guess there are sacrifices, but there's a big sacrifice that a, that a doctor has to take. You know, yeah. he works... Lot more hours than than I do. There's yeah. a there's a big sacrifice that the business executive makes. He's going out of town all the time. He's working overtime. Uh, school yeah. teachers, do we need to really go into yeah. what school teachers? I mean, people say, well, they get two two months off in the summer, or three months off. Yeah, but I'm related to a school teacher, and I have a lot of friends who are school teachers. And I see that they really aren't off the clock ever because when school's out, they yeah. bring that stack of papers home. They're grading papers and calling parents until the wee hours of the night, yeah. of the morning, whatever. Yeah, Might have been a bit of an exaggeration there. But then yeah. they got to turn around and go back and be at school early in the morning, next morning, put up with people who don't appreciate them. So That's the most difficult yeah. part about any job to me is... Yes. And there's a lot of appreciation shown to ministers. So really quickly, is it worth the risk? Of course it is. It is so worth the risk. And, um, you know, we sometimes don't do it justice, you know. But uh, Paul shows that it was worth all the heartache and all of the unbearable uh, suspense that he was going through to learn that they had been faithful and loving and were growing in that faith and love. Is this podcast worth the risk? It is worth uh, the risk, the risk of, of ridicule. Um, we haven't gotten that yet. But if you would like to leave a bad rating, go to iTunes and give us one star and send a little, uh, what do they call it, a review. Do a review. Yeah. I think any review, even if it's bad and, may, and hurts our feelings, will <laughs> get our numbers up so that we can show up in the searches and people more people can learn about the podcast. Or maybe you just want to email us a nasty email and <laughs> tell us, you know, it's terrible. That goes to dkaiser <laughs> at arcoc.com. You beat me to the punch. I was about to do that same thing. Yeah, I figured you were. 
Twitter, let the world know that you hate us through Twitter. The 66 podcast is the handle. Or go to Facebook and, and yes. tear us up on Facebook. We would enjoy that. Hey, our as Facebook well. got some serious traffic the last few weeks. Did you see that? No. Yeah, we got some. I never look at it. We got so, some. It tells me when it's viewed. Uh huh. We got some big views. Um, so. We're uh, um, we're moving way up here. People are snooping around, world. snooping yeah. around on social media, yeah. trying to find something that's not there, which is uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is a quality podcast, an interesting Facebook page. Yeah, but we hope uh, you know uh, we really enjoy doing this just from a selfish perspective. Um, but we really hope this is benefiting some of y'all that are listening, uh, maybe helping you prep for a Bible class or just giving you something to do while you. Mother line, riding your car in a commute, or uh, do anything else where you kind of don't really have, you know, much to do, but yeah. but to listen and grow, and maybe instead of listening to that for you teenagers, maybe instead of listening to that Drake album the fiftieth oh, time, dear. or for the older folks listening to, I don't know, Guns Jim and Roses Reeves. again, Who? Guns and Roses, <laughs> Elvis. So old people to you are people who are thirty and forty years no, old. I like I'm including myself in that older uh. people. Since I'm around teenagers all the time, I feel much older than I really am because mm-hmm. I have no, like, you know, their taste in music to me is horrible, which in my mind makes me old. Because hmm. It just thinking, gets worse. Like, that's what the young, that's what those kids listen to. Yeah. Kids and their hip-hop music and Drake and their... I can't even understand the lyrics. Yeah, which is good. What are they saying? Because if you that's could understand, you're... your face would be red. Yeah. In all right. Cases. Back on track. We Something are going to go podcast. probably the one of the best chapters of this book, chapter four, next week. Gonna learn a lot about the second coming. So uh, tune in, stay with us. I know I know we're sporadic these days. We are going to get back on track. So uh, watch for that episode to drop next week, next time on the sixty six.